This is Monique. This is Landon. Happy New Year. Happy anniversary, Monique. I know. It is our four-year anniversary. Well, no, it's, I guess, our fifth anniversary. Yeah, because we're starting into our fifth year, yes? We're starting in our fifth year. Yeah. So I guess that makes, I don't know. I anyway, don't know either. we've done four years of this and now we're and still. And you still love me. We're still going. <laughs> I still put up with her and her soapboxes and mm-hmm. her poor pronunciation and her age. But. Um, oh my goodness. Yeah. I ain't getting any younger. That is true. I certainly am not. Ah, <laughs> oh, well. Should we talk about something? I know. A new year. 2019, a new year. And a a new anticoagulant. Yes. Very good. That was very good. That was cheesy. (laughs) Well, so recently a patient came in who was sent to the emergency department because he noticed that his gums were bleeding. Mm. And uh, he was being treated with dabigatran for his atrial fibrillation. Uh Uh-oh. And so a podcast was born. And we decided to look at what are now called the non-K antagonist oral anticoagulants, or NOACs. N-O-A-C, not N-O-A-X. Although it would be cooler if it was like NOACs. NOACs. Oh, yeah, that would be, but it's not. NOAC? NOAC. With an S would make it NOACs. Yeah, that's true. NOACs. Anyway. (laughs) <laughs> they we, used to be called novel the novel anticoagulants yeah or but, direct but now kind of the official word is it's called the non k antagonist oral. and the k meaning non-vitamin k yeah antagonist exactly meaning you can't fix it with vitamin k administration exactly like you yeah, can non-vitamin with, k I, with warfarin oh you're gonna get to that no it is i i meant to write it there and yeah, i didn't non-vitamin okay. k antagonist oral anticoagulant yes yeah. i know all right that was long. I know. Sorry. Anyway, uh, we call them blood thinners, but they don't really thin the blood. I know. It's kind of a wrong term. They do not dissolve clots. It just keeps them from getting bigger mm-hmm. and moving to places we don't want them to move. Right. That's really what they do. Uh, those places being the heart, lungs, and brains. Bad place for clots. Yeah. Uh, but really anywhere is. Uh, so this allows the body's natural system to break the clot down over time and helps reduce the chance of the clots developing in people with a higher risk of forming clots. Mm-hmm. Anticoagulants interfere with the proteins in the blood that are involved with the coagulation process. Mm. Different anticoagulants interfere with different factors to prevent clotting. And if you don't remember <laughs> anything about blood clotting... yeah. We did a podcast, didn't we? We did a podcast on it. I don't know. And it was, oh God, that was a long time ago. I know. But I think we're talking about the clotting cascade, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you do listen to it, remember to listen to the thing right till the end because we actually got the intrinsic and extrinsic pathways reversed. Reversed. But we corrected point. it, didn't we? Well, we, we? corrected it at the end, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, anticoagulants are prescribed for people who are at increased risk for developing harmful blood clots. So these are mechanical heart valves, atrial fibrillation, certain clotting disorders, or patients at a higher risk of a clot after hip or knee surgery. Mm-hmm. Anticoagulants also treat patients who have already developed clots, so strokes, heart attacks, PE, or DVT. For any given patient, though, it is important to balance the benefit of producing thromboembolic. Did I say? What? You said producing. I don't think we want to produce them. I think we want to prevent them. We want to prevent yeah. thromboembolic disease, yeah. not produce it. No, I don't think we want to produce them. And we have to balance that with the potential harm of inducing bleeding. Yeah. 
So a long-term goal in anticoagulant management has been to obtain oral anticoagulants with a more predictable pharmacodynamics and not affected by diet, antibiotics, or other common drugs. And yeah. really we're talking there about... Antibiotics. <laughs> Warfarin. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Of course, we said antibiotics. <laughs> we're talking about I must have just had a little bit of a... Yeah, I'm sorry. We're talking about... Warfarin. warfarin. Yes. We're looking for a replacement yeah. for warfarin, <laughs> warfarin, not antibiotics. I apologize. Um, the non-vitamin K antagonist oral <laughs> anticoagulants. Can we just say NOAX? Let's say NOAX. Because it's a little on. bit uh, long. Um, they have major pharmacological advantages over warfarin, including a rapid onset and offset of action, fewer drug reactions, and predictable pharmacokinetics. Warfarin, unfortunately, has a narrow therapeutic window, and it can be affected by lots of factors like diet and other medications. So an issue for patients on warfarin is that they need to have their INR monitored regularly because of that narrow window. The properties of the new oral anticoagulants are quite different. They are direct anticoagulants that target a single clotting enzyme, either factor A or thrombin. Factor 10A. Factor 10A, sorry. Um, in contrast, uh, warfarin is an indirect anticoagulant with multiple targets. Now, as Landon mentioned, we already talked about our um, previous podcast about the clotting ca cascade. And just to remind you, warfarin is a vitamin K antagonist. Uh, vitamin K helps to create a number of proteins that help promote the ability of the blood to clot. Without the activity of vitamin K in the body, the production of these clotting factors is decreased and the blood has a decreased ability to clot. So back to the non-vitamin K antagonist oral anticoagulants, which have been shown to be comparable and even better in safety and efficacy, specifically in preventing DVTs following knee or hip replacements and in preventing strokes with non-valvular atrial fibrillation. In mechanical heart valves, though, warfarin is still the better choice. So in January 2019, like now, right now, uh, the AFib treatment guidelines were updated to recommend NOAX as the preferred alternative to warfarin for reducing the risk of stroke. This change was made in a focus update to the 2014 American Heart Association, American College of Cardiology and Heart Rhythm Society guideline for the management of patients with atrial fibrillation. So we're very current. Cool. Uh -huh. Yeah. We, we being very current, meaning you did the research. <laughs> well, it's still important. <clears throat> so the, the NOACs are divided into two therapeutic classes, the direct factor 10A inhibitors. So that's rivaroxaban and apixaban. Mm -hmm. Really, they pick them like, let's throw 18 consonants with one vowel in a word and name it that. Mm -hmm. And the direct thrombin inhibitor, dabigatran. I know. Again, we're back to the clotting cascade to understand mm -hmm. how these drugs work. Coagulation starts when small amounts of thrombin are generated in response to vascular injury and platelets become activated. Factor 10A converts prothrombin to thrombin. So direct factor 10A inhibitor stops prothrombin from converting to thrombin and therefore stopping the whole thing from to going. start with. Yeah. Thrombin is needed to amplify coagulation and fibrin. So the direct thrombin inhibitor blocks thrombin. The direct thrombin inhibitor class has some of the newer anticoagulation anticoagulants on the market. They work by binding to the thrombin molecule. There are two ways in which direct thrombin inhibitors work. 
They combine to thrombin on the active site, univalent, or on both the active and exocyte or secondary binding site. Because that's something that you need to know when they come through the door. <laughs> I know. We get a little nerdy sometimes. I know. We can't help it. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. Dabigatran, or Pradaxa, is the most common of this class. The largest problem with this class of drugs is the high risk of bleeding complications, and it's mainly GI bleed. Yeah. So the second kind are the factor 10A inhibitors, and those are Xarelto, Rivaroxaban. They prevent coagulation by working on factor 10A, thrombin levels are reduced, and the probability of clotting is decreased. Xarelto has been found to be especially useful in people who struggle to maintain a consistent INR. Diet has no effect on Xarelto, and Xarelto also does not need to have blood tests done to determine its blood levels. Research has shown that standardized dosing works well with this medication. Yeah, so they're not having to change their drugs um, and being called every Every day, day. sometimes. Yeah, yeah. exactly. The, the problem really with some of these NOACs is there's no single best or first choice as the different NOACs have not been compared in a head-to-head -head fashion. And the clinical trials to date were not designed to help select the most appropriate anticoagulant in individual patients. So I think that that's kind of sometimes a bit of the struggle. So choosing which drug to use really is about looking at the risk factors for bleeding, talking to the patient about their lifestyle, and compliance with blood testing, and or once or twice daily dosing. So when people don't take their meds regularly um, or they forget, that's really kind of difficult. And also we have to kind of consider their kidney and liver function. For example, approximately 80% of dabigatran um, and 33% uh, in rivaroxaban and abixaban, 25% is eliminated through the kidneys. So if you have somebody who has kidney issues, they're probably not going to be on dabigatran. The question of whether one agent is better than another was quite a big topic of ses uh, discussion at the 2016 American College of Cardiology Annual Scientific Sessions. They did a, there was a 2013 meta-analysis by Ruff and all comparing the efficacy and safety of NOACs and warfarin. In this analysis, NOAC showed a reduction in hemorrhagic stroke, about 51%, all-cause mortality, 10%, and intracranial hemorrhage, 52%. However, they also increased GI bleeds, 25%, when compared to warfarin. So some of so those big, pick, scary ones... Pick, pick where you want I know your bleed. Where, exactly. <laughs> Uh, while the newer agents might be better than warfarin on several points, the most effective ability to prevent clotting also unfortunately results in the unwanted consequence of increased bleeding. So it appears that the most common <clears throat> bleeding complication, when you, as you mentioned, is GI bleeding. Right. So one advantage that we discussed is because of the relative stability of these drugs, patients don't have to have their INR or PTT monitored, which they would have to do if they were taking warfarin. INR or PTT should not be used to measure the anticoagulant effects of these NOACs. Depending on the timing of the blood draw, the INR and PTT may or may not be prolonged, so it cannot estimate the anticoagulant activity. Because mm -hmm. that's not where it works. Exactly. Yeah, test the right thing. Exactly. You yeah. people who like D-dimers. Exactly. Um, yet another podcast. It is reasonable to assume that if these were elevated, that some anticoagulant activity is present, but it is normal. But if you, it is normal. If it's normal, you can't say the drug isn't working. Yeah, exactly. So again, not the right test. No. Thrombin time is highly sensitive to the presence of a direct thrombin inhibitor. So it would be elevated for patients on... Dabigatran. That was, that was the... 
participation part yeah. where the people listening are supposed, oh, to, supposed say to, to say the answer. Okay. But the answer is to big a trend because Monique stole your thunder. If the thrombin time is normal, it excludes the presence of any anticoagulant effect from dabigatran. This too has limitations. It might be helpful in patients presenting with bleeding to determine if dabigatran is present, but it's really not used routinely to measure or monitor the effect of dabigatran. Yeah. So perhaps you're asking yourself, if we cannot monitor the INR or PTT, then how do we make sure patients are not at risk of bleeding or developing a clot because they are anticoagulated or undercoagulated? It's a bit of a difficult question, and really knowing that the research shows that it prevents clots as well as warfarin is helpful. Clinical practice and research has shifted focus to decreasing the risk of bleeding for patients on oral anticoagulants. Bleeding itself has now become an endpoint that cardiologists aim to avoid. Yeah. So if there's no bleeding, then... Then you're good. Yeah. So really, it's about educating patients on how to take the pills and how to watch out for signs of bleeding. Because mm -hmm. the general public thinks bleeding is something they see on the outside. Yeah, exactly. they need to think about what bleeding on the inside looks like. Mm -hmm. uh, patients will have their kidney function monitored as well as part of routine blood tests and really how often will be based on their kidney function and other health conditions. Yeah. So really, as you said, it's about educating patients because when you're talking about NOACs, it really is about understanding how they work and so the patients really need to be involved in their care. And so we're going to talk about a few do's and don'ts. So when you're talking with your patients, they do need to take the medicine exactly as prescribed, take it daily, and look out for signs and symptoms of bleeding. If bleeding occurs, they should seek medical attention. They should tell everyone they are on a NOAC and maybe even carry a patient alert card and or wear a patient alert um, bracelet, particularly if they're unconscious or something like that, right? It's probably be safe. Or, because it's 2019, have it. they should put it in the health, health app on their phone. There you go. So but, that when we look up their emergency information, it's there. Exactly. I'm being modern. I know. I noticed that. Okay, the don'ts. You should never double up a dose to make up for a missed dose. Don't stop taking them. Don't start any new medications, supplements, or herbal remedies without first checking with your primary care provider. Because the half-lives of NOACs are relatively short, missing one to two doses of the medication can lead to sub-therapeutic coverage. Patients should be encouraged to use like a pill tracking system, like a blister pack. Dipigatran must be stored in its original bottle or blister package to protect it from moisture. Once the bottle is open, the capsules must be used within 60 days, and mishandling and uh, poor storage can cause the drug to become ineffective. Hmm. Yeah, if a patient misses a dose of his or her factor 10A inhibitor, like rivaroxaban, abixaban, or edoxapan, um, he or she should take one dose as soon as he or she remembers. If they miss a dose, um, as long as there's six, uh, of their uh, dabigatran, as long as there's six hours or more until his next scheduled dose, then they can take one pill. Otherwise, don't take the dose. Just take the next dose when scheduled. It's all about like how fast their half-life is, yeah. right? So you should just stress that they should not miss a dose or even run out of the medication. Undercoagulation can be far more dangerous because the symptoms are not as obvious as overcoagulation. As people can see unusual bleeding or bruising before it turns into a life-threatening condition and will often seek medical attention. But, However, but nobody sees the PE coming. That's true. Yeah. However, undercoagulation doesn't reveal itself unless yeah. you have a DVT or a PE or a stroke, and of course those can definitely be life 
ending. Challenging or ending. Life challenging. That's a that's a really nice way of saying it. You're, life challenging. I know. You are being life challenged right now I with know. your massive PE. But I think we often, you know, kind of focus on the bleeding parts and not thinking about people being undercoagulated Which until, is as you higher said, risk. Yeah. huge risk. Yeah. So that's why it's kind of important that they understand with these half lives that they do need to take it at a regular time. Well, the other thing that we should be talking about with our patients is signs and symptoms of bleeding. Mm -hmm. And any signs of unusual bleeding should be reported to their healthcare provider so that they can decide on an appropriate next step to take. Minor bleeding includes bleeding from the gums, nosebleeds, or easy bruising. Signs of internal bleeding include severe headache or changes in strength in one part of the body, hematuria, bloody or dark stool, hematemesis, those sorts of things. And it, it's a bit, oh, hold on. Oh, you're going to get on your... Here comes my soapbox. Okay. I like it when we, and when I say we nurses, can use a little bit of um, visualization sometimes in our practice mm -hmm. and... and think something through. And I often will say to newer practitioners, mostly around giving TPA for stroke, that's typically where in the high acuity situation, uh -huh. you ask this question, what would signs of bleeding look like? And they often struggle. And I go, yeah. you know, picture every part of the body yeah, and picture increased pressure there. And uh -huh. what would you see? And then there's, they suddenly go, oh, well in the brain, it would be like maybe ICP increase and in the chest, oh, like they could have trouble breathing because they now have a hemothorax and in yeah. the abdomen, they could, you know, leak the blood out of either hole and, yeah. and it makes it so much more easy when Clear. you just think, mm -hmm. well, what would happen instead of trying to remember signs and symptoms? Yeah. Like, I'll put my soapbox <laughs> away. All right. So in, in the case of bleeding, you would order a, a PTINR and a CBC and, and again, they're, they're bleeding now. Yeah. Figure it out. That's exactly. what we do. Mm -hmm. in emergency departments. So one of the criticisms of this class of drugs has been the fact that there's no reversal agents or antidote, and yeah. therefore management of bleeding can be challenging. And mm -hmm. for some situations, simply stopping the medication may help to resolve the bleeding because of its relatively half short life. Right. Now, obviously, they're not bleeding to death in front of you in those cases. Mm -hmm. In life-threatening cases, however, the lack of an approved antidote remains problematic with this medication. In Canada, specific antidotes are currently not available for this class of drug. Oh, dear. That's going to be a difficult one to Idarucizumab. say. Yeah. Oh, Idar there we go. That was very good. Has been approved in the United States for the reversal of dabigatran. And, and Dexanet, mm -hmm. a reversal agent for the factor 10A inhibitors, is in clinical trial testing. Usual supportive care with fluid support, red cell transfusion should be done, and the source of bleeding obviously must be identified and treated if possible. Frozen plasma has no role in reversing the anticoagulant effects of this class of drugs. Yeah. However, if you are massively transfusing them, yeah. frozen plasma has a role yes. in the massive transfusion, transfusion part. Protocol. It yeah. just doesn't reverse the no exactly. So important you don't think, don't give plasma if you're mm -hmm. given a bunch of blood. The use of prothrombin complex concentrate or PCC and recombinant factor seven uh, have not been adequately evaluated and are not routinely given to patients presenting with bleeding while on NOACs. Their use in life-threatening cases should be discussed with an expert on the risk of, or on the use of blood products and anticoagulants. Like this is honestly, when we've had these people come in, it's like, get me the transfusion medicine yeah, doctor exactly. of which you know there's two in the province kind exactly. of specialty guy on the phone yeah yeah because exactly. this is when we're throwing weird stuff at them the risk of thrombosis is a serious complication with 
blood products, especially in patients who are already at risk of stroke, and now you're taking their anticoagulant away. away. Yeah. Dialysis can also be useful in removing approximately 60% of dabigatran and can be considered in cases of overdose or severe renal failure. Mm -hmm. uh, dialysis is not effective for removing rivaroxaban or apixaban because they're uh, pretty tightly protein-bound, so mm -hmm. it's hard to get them out. So, despite the worry of managing life-threatening bleeding, the risk-benefits of using the NOAX instead of warfarin in atrial fibrillation is still the recommendation. Mm -hmm. And just know what you're looking for. Exactly. We got really nerdy in this one, didn't we? A little bit. Yeah, but I think it's important. And actually, it kind of goes quite nicely if you look at the clotting cascade and understanding the medication. And when people come in with bleeding, to understand the effects of those medications on why somebody is bleeding. I mm -hmm. think that that sometimes is much more the in, the uh, intelligent part or the critical thinking part of being a nurse. And so understanding all of this is kind of helpful. Um, so in summary, NOACs are recommended as first-line therapy in atrial fibrillation. Warfarin should still be used in mechanical heart valves. NOACs are eliminated in the kidney, so patients should be monitored for their kidney function. NOACs should be taken daily and as prescribed because of their relative short half-life. Patients should be educated on bleeding symptoms and when to seek medical attention immediately. And research is in progress looking at reversal agents. With life-threatening bleeds, it is still ABC supportive care and get help from your experts like your transfusion medical medicine specialist. Hmm. So there we go. That's very interesting. It's always interesting when we're thinking, well, because it's so complicated with so many medications out there and we're always looking at different medications. And so we don't often get an opportunity to say, well, here they're coming in with all these different medications and how well, do and I Especially with these, people just sort of started showing up. With exactly. These, and the, and the, the physician or the, mm -hmm. the company that sold them, like they got those cards and it's yeah. like, they'd throw the card to you at triage. And I'm like, there's a lot of X's and Z's in that word. <laughs> I, what is this? I don't exactly. even know. And you feel kind of dumb when... Uh -huh. They're coming to you for help, and they say, oh, I'm on this, and you go, and I've never heard of that. Yes. So, yeah. And then the, the flip side is, you know, someone on anticoagulants who's bleeding, if you've been around a long time, like we have. Yes. Vitamin K is yeah. like, just give them a bunch of vitamin K. And, and it'll be okay. And it'll be okay. And now you, we just don't want anyone looking yeah. silly when they're trying to insist on vitamin K, and the rest of the care team's kind of looking at you like, that's not the right drug exactly no wax exactly so anyway we will see you next month next month february february valentine's day are you gonna buy me something maybe probably not <laughs> well All this right. is talking about hearts right so it is kind of a preemptive february nice segue i thought so all right goodbye, goodbye. For past episodes and to comment on this episode, please visit our website at nursum.org. That's N-U-R-S-E-M dot O-R-G. You can follow us on Twitter at NursumCast and also find us on Facebook at Nursum Podcast. We look forward to your comments and suggestions for future episodes. Remember, before incorporating anything new into your work, ensure you are supported by your own scope of practice, workplace policies, and your own knowledge and comfort. The Nursum Podcast is brought to you by PRN Education.
www.prneducation.ca.